This is your host Shane with Radical Rocks. Today we've got a very exciting episode. We're going to talk about stepite, mineral. We're going to talk about strengthite, geodes in the cold, dino with skin, pink tourmaline, gym state, Arizona, and so much more. That's right. Radical rocks are everywhere. And today we are going to talk about a lot of them. We'll talk about uh, rock hunting in Arizona. Hey, is that turquoise? And there's turquoise in Arizona. Is that a saginite? Saginite. We're going to talk about the gym state. A lot of saginite there. Um, rubellite. All kinds of really cool things. So hang in there and uh, we'll even have a gold mining story. Hopefully everything works out all right. And we're trying a live stream on YouTube. We're going to see how that works out. If it's, uh, if it's well received, then we may try it again. We may try to improve it. If not, then uh, we'll just stick to our podcast because um, we have a nice audience there, very loyal supporters. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for subscribing to all our social media. We're real big on MeWe and um, on YouTube. We have several videos and then the podcast, which you can find on any application. Just look up Radical Rocks. Uh, sometimes it may be Radical Rocks USA. We pop up on a lot of sites there. We also have a uh, Facebook group as well, Radical Rocks. So check out all that stuff. Now, first, there was some jewelry that was stolen. If you go to jewelermagazine.com, you can see some pictures of this beautiful gold jewelry that was stolen from this collection. There were 77-something pieces that included crowns, amulets, belts, earrings, and things like that. They came from the 11th century. It was discovered in London. It was stolen from Cambodian area in Cambodia. Um, an Argyle crime crown jewelry was discovered in London, and um, pieces are being returned to their rightful owners. Um, says here, it is displayed to go on a tour in the country's museum very soon in Cambodia. So, very nice that those were able to be returned. Now, there was a field trip from our friends, the Searcher. Um, they're always having field trips. They've got one in March coming up on the 11th through the 12th. They're going to Green Ash Hills and Mule Canyon. The Green Ash Hills and Mule Canyon is a really great place. Um, you know, with all the storms that have taken place in California, that should have washed up a lot of good uh, rocks and minerals. They're going to probably find some nice colored jasper and agate just float right there. Petrified palm, petrified wood, colorful chalcedony, bog agate, and even some of the fabled black agate. They call it Doug's fabled black agate. But I know there's black agate nearby, so that should be attainable. Um, 
and that is in California, uh, near the um, close to the Early Man site, which is pretty close to. Um, uh, now I can't even think of it. That old silver mine out there, um, Calico, Calico area, off the 15 freeway there in California. So pretty neat stuff there. If you want to get some field trips, then get hooked up with uh, Anaheim, the Searchers, really great rock and mineral club out there, Jim and Mineral Society. They're out of uh, Anaheim. All right, Fluorospar. What is Fluorospar? Well, it sounds kind of like fluorite, right? That's because it is fluorite. This mineral is used for a lot of things. It's used in making steel and making metals. It's used for fluxes. Um, it can be, you know, put in toothpaste. Whether that's a good idea or not, I don't know. There's a lot of debate on that. Um, but the market is huge. And it also, believe it or not, is going to be used in conjunction with the popularity of electric vehicles for... Uh, the lithium-ion batteries that are needed for this new green uh, deal that is coming down the pipe. So there's a great market there. They've got a picture on a website called digitaljournal.com where um, they talk about the growth and the trends and the uh, analysis that are done for the next several years, about five years, 2023 to 2028. They figure it's going to go up about 5.6%. The products of feldspar are asaspar, metaspar, cremic, optical grade, lapidary grade, and others. And then the markets are broadly categorized on the basis of applications for aluminum, steel, hydrofluoric and acid production, lithium ion, and others. And the region in the market is segmented into North America, Europe, Asia, Latin America, and the Middle Eastern markets. Um, the market trends are moving up, uh, especially with the new increased demand for green energy. That sector is going to move up. Uh, they give a list of key players and things like that. Uh, if you're interested in checking this out more, again, you can go to Digital Journal and look up Global Fluorospar Market Size, Share, Price, Trends, Gross, Analysis, Reports, and Forecasts 2023 to 2028. Now, the gems of the gem state. Um, the gem state is Idaho in the United States of America. Uh, we've talked about it a lot. At ktvb.com, uh, Sophia Blitz tells us all about this. Um, I'm quite familiar with uh, a lot about Idaho, but it's always good to hear a refresher on rock hounding in this area, especially in the southern part of the state. You're going to find a lot of thunder eggs, seam agates, and jaspers of beautiful, beautiful colors and patterns that will amaze you. Um, thunder eggs, of course, are going to be solid where geodes have the uh, cavity in it. We're going to talk about geodes in a little bit, too. We'll go into some discussion on those. Um, but volcanic ash is everywhere uh, in that part of the state and, you know, balsamic rocks and igneous rocks and things of this sort where a lot of great agates and uh, chalcedony and jaspers and minerals like that can be found. So they were digging in this opal ash when they found, op or excuse me, this volcanic ash when they found opal chips on the surface and thunder egg chips, which I don't know what thunder egg chips are. I guess they're broken pieces of agate. But it says the sizes of the thunder eggs can vary from a baseball to a potato, but they can be from a 
half inch to over three feet apart when they are digging in these areas. Now, they're not telling you exactly where it is, but they do have a claim in uh, Marising, M-A-R-S-I-N-G, where they find a lot of thunder eggs. I don't know if there's any open areas in that, in that location, but Craig Brenham is a field manager for Earth Bright Rock Shop. So you might want to look that up if you want to get in touch with him on that and see what, what's involved. But uh, these thunder eggs on his claim apparently are filled with a blue opal, so they're quite striking, very beautiful. And um, it's a light blue color. Blue is very rare for rocks and minerals when you, uh, when you think about it. But uh, they dig them up out of these seams and then they pop out. And you could just crack it open, but I would rather take the time to cut it. You can look at one of our videos on YouTube, how to cut geodes. I got about uh, five or six different ways to get a geode or a thunder egg open. But uh, this area is, uh, you can find opal, quartz, agate, amethyst, aquamarine, jasper, and garnet, just to name a few. Now, they recommend going to the display, seeing the display at the Gym and Mineral Show that's hosted by the Idaho Gym Club, and you, I would recommend getting connected with any one of those clubs if you want to collect in these areas, and uh, I mean, they don't charge that much to be a member, it's usually only like 30 bucks or so, so it's a pretty, pretty nice entryway into being connected with a lot of people who uh, know where the rocks and gyms are, so it's a great hobby, um, they Several of the individuals that are involved in these different clubs talk about their experience collecting these gems and minerals in the gem state. There's books that you can buy um, to get even more information on it. Also, we have uh, gone fossil hunting for leaves and we were hoping to find some fish. We didn't find any fish here in North Idaho. We've also gone gold panning in North Idaho. We've got videos on both of those. We've got videos on the huckleberry garnets. They're huge. They're as big as a giant marble. So there's a lot of opportunities. Pink tourmaline. Now, we just had Valentine's Day, and I don't know that I really discussed uh, pink tourmaline as an opportunity for, you know, a romantic stone for that time of year, but uh, certainly should have. And there's been some discussion on pink tourmaline because I've seen uh, in my searches for good articles and information to share with you, I found out about rubellite and this uh, rubellite is a very fine pink uh, tourmaline that is cut into gemstones it can be light to dark but it's very beautiful and the thing about tourmaline is so hard it's nine on the hardness scale almost as hard as a diamond uh, not going to crack like uh, as easily as morganite and uh, not going to fade as much as uh, say quartz and things like that so a real opportunity I'm hoping that my record is still recording. There it is, okay. Uh, nice opportunity to be able to get these uh, gemstones is found at some of the mines all over. California, we've talked about other ones where you usually have to pay to dig them. But the debate between rubellite and pink tourmaline is, is there a difference? Well, maybe, maybe not. They call it a Karen rubellite and rubellite and it's kind of branded, I guess. It's very high quality, clear. Um, I don't know if they're treated with heat or anything like that, but uh, 
you're looking for the shade of the paint. That's that's kind of where the discussion is. If it's uh, if you go to the GIA gemologist site, you will see a whole thing on um, pink tourmaline, and they will talk about the 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 Karen rubellite and the more desirable types. So you know there is a difference in the appraisal based on the quality and the color, but uh, you know you could find light pink or dark pink at most any location where the pink or the um, watermelon type colored tourmalines are popping up. But there certainly are areas where the pink is more dominant and other areas where the watermelon is more dominant. So one comment here um, by MacArthur's that I found on um, Gainosin, it's G-A-N-O-K-S-I-N.com. Um, he says here that according to the color, following varieties are recognized by the trade. Rubellite, pink to red, sometimes with a violet tint. Ruby color is the most valuable. Every stone in those colors is illustrated in labeled rubellite. And then he says in his mineralogy book, the variety of tourmaline that keys out reds is called rubellite. So he's saying if it's redder, it's a rubellite. If it's pinker, then you should just call it a pink. Um, so yeah, you'd have to look and determine. Uh, he says a spectrograph analysis would probably determine whether or not the stone contained lithium or another coloring agent such as iron, but uh, doesn't know if that really plays into the colors or not uh, for grading the actual gemstones that's that's a good question whatever the case is i guarantee you the more pleasing the color the higher quality the better the cut the bigger the stone when those things all combine clarity cut carrot um, you know all the c's that you want it's going to increase the value now they did a scan on some of the pyramids in giza I know this is maybe not rocks and minerals, but I, I found it interesting. I wanted to share it with you. It's at gpb.org, and um, the Associated Press tells about this discovery in Cairo, Egypt, where they found a sealed-off chamber. It's been sealed off, they said, some 4,500 years ago, which is really the beginning of written history uh, as far as we know. And then the corridor inside the Pyramid of Kahufo was discovered using the scanning technology 30 feet in length, 6 feet wide, perched above the main entrance of the pyramid. So pretty cool. Um, now they're going to probably try to figure out a way to get in there, see what's in there. This project began in 2015, but uh, now they want to uh, look at it even more and see if there's any other discoveries to find within the hidden chambers of this pyramid. Interesting. You know, we talk about fossils. I always throw in a few interesting stories. Ryanon Engel says that uh, here at the unilad.com website that scientists found a dinosaur with its skin on its face still intact. Now, this dinosaur... Um, you may remember in your toys when you were a kid, if you were like me, there was one that was spiny all over, and it was kind of short and uh, rounded, and it had a club tail, and it was not the most uh, ferocious-looking dinosaur, but it certainly was spiky, 
and interesting. So this skin, they said, is a one in a billion find, and um, they were looking at it and studying it. The creature's near immaculately preserved face and skin. Whatever that face fell into, ladies, that's the stuff you, we want to put on our face so we stay young and uh, beautiful or handsome, however you want to look at it, uh, for all eternity. That's what it did for this dinosaur. I'm sure it must work for everybody else. I think we should go dig some up and sell it. But anyway, here it is, this dinosaur that they say is, uh, you know, very, very old, however many years it's uh, debatable. But uh, it is called a, I can't remember what it was called, but I'll find it. It has, again, doesn't have a club tail. I made a mistake. This one does not have a club tail. I've seen them with club tails before. It looks kind of like a prehistoric anteater. Um, like it could roll up in a ball, like an armadillo kind of. And, um, and, and, and has spikes all over it. This was a land dweller, walked on four legs, very stumpy-like legs. I, I seem to recall these are about 20 feet long, um, but not real tall. Um, maybe, maybe eight feet tall, six feet tall, something like that. Um, let's see if I can find, ah, oh man, I, it's Ankylosaurus. I didn't find it. I remembered it. It's called an Ankylosaurus, and uh, it's one of the first dinosaurs you learned about as a kid from the early Creaceous period, and uh, this armor in, in the view of this armor and its skin and its face is going to give researchers uh, new information that they can find out about. So pretty cool, pretty cool. Geodes in the cold. When we think about rocks and minerals and geodes that are forming, we think of them being in this hot volcanic area. Well, maybe not. Um, according to Kevin Mayo at Air, um, Air Dryer, today, A-I-R-D-R-I-E, today.com, he tells us about the geodes in the cold. And basically, what he's trying to say here is that some of the studies, such as the geode found at the Royal Alberta Museum, takes many, 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 many years, thousands of years perhaps, to develop. Um, when they develop, um, they can be in a cooling area, okay? So they're also saying that underneath the coldest areas of our world, like uh, up in Alberta or underneath the, uh, um, the Arctica, Antarctica, that the ground is still liquid and hot and everything is happening, but uh, it would cool uh, probably very quickly and these things would still allow these uh, crystals to form. They said that uh, there will be an opening in the space underground, typically the result of a gas bubble, <clears throat> and then it fills up with this superheated water which has dissolved minerals in it. As the water cools, it loses its space for the minerals. They precipitate or fall out and form crystals, and they can be of quartz, um, which is the most common mineral, and purple quartz, would contain um, iron, and that's amethyst. Pink quartz has uh, titanium oxide. Smoky quartz has uh, yellow, brown, or black due to radiation. Multicolored layers of quartz are called agate, and there's lots of water in your quartz, um, and it could be a rainbow-hued or opal if that is the case that it has a lot of water in it because there's actually water trapped in 
the uh, opal. So the study goes on to talk about these uh, crystals and how they have formed in these areas that would cool much quicker um, than other areas. All right, let's see. Uh, let's talk about rock collecting in Arizona. Our friends at rock, the letter N, gym.com, tell us about rock collecting in Arizona. And what attracted my attention to this was some pictures of rattlesnakes that came along with the article. Um, I remember being in snake country, and that is something you've got to watch out for. Um, this story is attributed by Bob Jones, wonderful rockhound, mineral enthusiast, and uh, contributor to Rock and Gym magazine for many, many decades. Uh, wealth of information from that man. Um, definitely want to listen when he speaks or writes an article. But in this article here, it's just telling you, watch out. There's Gila monsters. There's uh, um, or Gila monsters. Some people call them Gila monster, but the G is actually silent. There's black widows, there's brown recluse, those are spiders that are poisonous. Uh, tarantulas, not too bad, but, you know, they could be bad. Coyotes, pumbas, bobcats, bear, deer, you know, all these creatures, you really got to be aware that uh, you are being careful. If you see a lot of deer, you know, um, they carry ticks and fleas and things like that, so you want to be very careful. Um, they have an area of calcite collecting here that they talk about. Um, if you want to read about that, you can. There's a zinc property also that's claimed in this area that he's talking about. It's the willamite collecting, calcite willamite collecting. He talks about this being the Red Rock uh, Desert, the desert near Red Rock in North Tucson. I don't know if these areas are still open, but uh, apparently there's a lot of crystals there. There's a vein of uh, zinc ore there's red fluorescing calcite, green fluorescing willamite, uh, which is very popular. Maybe some clubs in the area can let you know if those are still opening uh, open. Also, when you go out in the desert, you want to make sure you've got a lot of water. And you also want to be careful that when you're near a watering hole, that you be careful because this is a magnet to wild animals and creatures, uh, as well as uh, wasps, bees, things like that, that can attack you. Mountain lions, you need to be careful about those. And... Um, bobcats and things like that very interesting story if you want to check that out you can go to rock and jim and check that out all right i think i want to tell you about some minerals and i will save the gold mining for last so let's talk about step stephite so it might even be stepite it's s-t-e-p-i-t-e stepite and this is a green little mineral uh, the crystals are small that form at mindat.org. Mindat.org. You can go to look that up. And here you will see some beautiful pictures of these crystals. This is very rare. Um, I could not find really any information on this. I actually saw somebody who was selling some of these minerals, and it made me want to look it up and find out more about it. Primarily, it seems to be isolated to the Czech Republic. Um, at least as far as these specimens are concerned. It's an emerald green color, not very hard, about two on the hardness scale, very vitreous in its luster. Um, it was named after Joseph Steff, uh, who lived from 1863 to 1926, 
and he was ahead of the state mines who uh, had found the occurrence of uranium ores in this area and discovered this uh, mineral here. Now, um, when you look at how it is structured, you will see that it is a um, it is associated and with arsenic minerals. So this is something you know you're not going to want to touch. Um, it, arsenic, arsenin, you know all those things are are potentially dangerous, and you want to be very very careful. But um, you can buy these minerals. They they do become available. They are kind of brittle. Um, the cleavage is good. The fracture is uneven or irregular. And then uh, again, when we go all the way down at the bottom of the mine at, they have the picture here of where that mine is. It looks like it is very isolated. Um, and there's a couple different mines in the Czech Republic where these come from. So that would be a great one. If you're looking for a rare mineral, then uh, check that out and uh, do some more research and see if that's something you're interested in. Next, another mineral that caught my eye is stringite. It's S-T-R-E-N-G-I-T-E, stringite. <laughs> Hard to pronounce for me, but uh, it is uh, associated with vericite, and it is a non-iron dominant member of vericite. It is aluminum dormant member and similar in composition. Stringite is uh, different in color. It has greenish hues, but it can be mostly violet or reddish. The color caused by iron will dominate. It will cause vericite rich in iron to have a violet or reddish color similar to the stringite. Stringite. Um, it is a, uh, the color streak, if you do a streak test, it's going to be white. The color can be purple, pink, reddish, pink, red, rarely white to yellow. It's an iron phosphate, often with some aluminum. Um, it is brittle, so I don't know that this is going to be a good lapidary material. And, uh, we'll do a little bit more research on this here. Um, its uses, it is a rare collector's mineral, doesn't form large crystals, but small crystal aggregates and crystals make beautiful thumbnail and micro-mount specimens. The largest single uh, stringite crystals are found in Bavaria, Germany, and Pleistian. Um, also, good uh, specimens are hard to obtain. Uh, good crystals are found at Hegenarfa, Hagendorf, excuse me, and uh, other areas. Let's see what else. In the U.S., velvety purple strangite uh, comes from the phosphate deposit at Indian Mountain, Cherokee County, Alabama. Other locations include Three Oaks Gap, Polk County, Arkansas, Bull Moose Mine, Cluster, South Dakota, and the Stewart Mine, Pala, San Diego, California which you can pay to mine there. So maybe you'd find some there. I don't know. Um, let's see what else we have. Usually nothing much else there. Let's check out Mindat. We're going to look at Stringite there. Some beautiful white uh, button uh, formations there that are from Portugal. 
And then Indian Mountain has these elongated um, uh, pyramid-tipped uh, crystals that are forming that are a violet color, very beautiful. And then a uh, cube of sorts, uh, kind of like an emerald uh, square cube cut uh, formation from Bavaria, Germany, and uh, some other areas. Quite beautiful, also purple color. It uh, is said that its hardness is about 3.5 to 4 on the hardness scale, so it's not, it's not too soft. Uh, vitreous is its luster. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, the, the namesake of this is Johann August String. String. Hard to say NG. Ng. However you do that. That's how his name ends. Um, he was a professor of chemistry and uh, around 1830 to 1897 of Germany. And he is accredited as a namesake for this mineral. And then uh, let's see what else we can find. The streak is white. Um, cleavage is good. Tendency is brittle. And then uh, we have the cube formation and the atomic structure here if you're interested in that and then we'll go way down to the bottom it looks like it's um, you can find it in a lot of locations so even though it's called rare it does seem to occur in many many locations here quite a list oh my goodness yes it is found in a lot of locations but it must be few and far between uh, Argentina Australia all the way to uh, uh, says Mars, uh, Zimbabwe, it's America, all over America, quite a few locations. The UK, Uruguay, Spain, South Korea, South Africa, Russia, Romania, uh, Madagascar, Japan, even wow, um, Germany, Europe, different areas like that. Chile, Chile. Uh, Bulgaria, Brazil, Belgium. So a lot of different locations around the world. If you're interested in, to, in that, then go ahead and um, do some more research on that or go uh, look, at, look up the mineral and see if you can get some in your collection. All right, last but not least, a gold mining story. Our friends at SierraGoldParksFoundation.org have uh, a whole list of stories there, but they tell us the story of the Empire Mine. Um, the Empire Mine started about 1850, and uh, there was a man named George Roberts who was looking for hard rock gold in quartz. And this was, you know, about a year after the big gold discovery at Sutter's Mill by uh, James Marshall that brought on the 49ers and the gold rush. So in 1951, Roberts sold his interest to this uh, little gold bearing vein that he found and uh, the new owner came along in 1869 and he was an entrepreneur his name was William Bowers Byrne Sr. and he had controlling interest and then in 1929 the Empire Mine was purchased by the Newmont Mining Company for a quarter of a million dollars and they ceased operations about 1956 in the heyday there was it was uh going 24 hours a day and uh, produced some 5.8 million ounces of gold and is ranked as one of the largest, oldest, most prosperous gold mines 
in all of North American history. So this was not some little tiny mine. Um, in 1975, the state of California um, bought it and called it a historical site. People from all over the world come here, and the park welcomes some 100,000 visitors per year to Empire Mine State Historic Park. Um, so you can still go check that out. It's about an elevation 2,500 to 2,900 feet. The porthole to the mine is about 150 feet deep. The mine um, is covering about 850 acres, very rich in history, and uh, the history is a long one. So if we go all the way back to 1869, um, this is when we, um, we find uh, uh, that it was purchased. In 1874, they were able to reach down the shaft to the 1,250-foot level with over 7,900 feet of drifts. Um, and then in 1879, William Bowers died, and uh, he was senior, and the junior went to England and went to Cambridge, and he formed the original Empire Mining Company, Bowers Jr. Uh, William, or I think it's Bourne, Bourne Jr., uh, Bower's cousin, George Starr, began working at Empire as a mucker. Mucking is just removing the mud and the debris after, um, after they will let some explosives um, go to release some of the ore. They formed the Grass Valley Water Company to bring water to um, these mines, two different mines, the Timpire and the North Star Mines. The main power support... Uh, source was changed in 1886 from steam to water using the Pelton wheel, a uh, way of, of uh, pumping water. And then George Starr installed compressed air drills in 1890. Um, he also moved in 1893 to South Africa to supervise gold mines there. And then the famous San Francisco architect Wills Polk designed and constructed the Empire Cottage and the grounds for the Bournes in 1897 to 1898. In 1898, George Starr returned to the Empire Mine as superintendent. A year later, mules were introduced to the mine, and in the 1900, um, Katie Moriritri uh, arrived to be housekeeper at the mine. She must have ended up being someone well-known. George Starr's reconstructed the mine uh, that was completed in 1901 and exceeded depths of 3,000-foot level. Quite an accomplishment for the time. Will Polk designed and constructed the prestigious clubhouse in 1905. In 1929, William Bourne Jr. sold the Empire Mine to the Newmont Mining Company for a quarter of a million, as we've stated. In 1930, the stamp mill at the Empire Mine was increased to 80 stamps. Man, it must have sounded like thunder. In 1941, the greatest step of the incline was achieved at the North Star Shaft at 11,000 feet. Incredible depths for the time, 1941. In 1959, they held an auction. They sold the contents in many of the buildings. And then again in 1975, State of California purchased surface property from the Newmont Mining Company for $1,250,000. Now, the mining methods of the time were not like the modern-day placer working. 
that would not work in a grass valley area um, except for uh, stream beds and such so they used hard rock mining techniques men with buckets were lowered into deep shafts called coyote holes resembling water wells to chip and drill through the rock after filling the holes with black powder they detonated it loaded and blasted the rock into ore carts and took it to the mine to the head frame for primary crushing at the stamp mill the ore would be crushed was mixed with water and washed across copper plates coated with mercury the mercury combined with free gold so the mercury basically uh, it, it sticks to the gold it sticks to the copper and it pulls the gold out as it's getting washed across and once this mercury is coated all over the gold and stuck to the pan what they scrape off of it is called amalgam the water washes away the impurity and the and a lot of the a lot of the mercury would go downstream unfortunately the clean amalgam went to the refinery for further processing and uh, 1905 empire adopted a more efficient mining method where they used a process called cyanide this is very dangerous um, has to be contained a lot of leaks were caused by cyanide that kind of has uh, really minimized the use of uh, that where only a few major mining companies are allowed to uh, to do that anymore most small miners have been crushed out of business uh, because they are not allowed to use a lot of these techniques so they would use this uh, technique to dissolve the gold while it's embedded in the quartz and um, cyanide method is still used throughout the world and it can be done uh, relatively safely if uh, certain safety precautions are are used mules were um, very helpful because the miners actually had to handle these ore cars manually and push them and uh, so the empire mine was able to use more uh, mules at a certain point and uh, that helped quite a bit in getting um, the ore out of these deep deep mines okay uh, whoops um, some other information uh, men in the Empire uh, are discussed here we talked about a couple of them already Bowers Borden jr. George W. Starr um, women such as uh, Mooney Boren I, I'm not sure what her first name is but uh, she was married to the family and actively involved in developing the grounds and rose gardens at the Empire Cottage. So I guess that's still in existence. The Liberty Star was born in New York State in 1866 and married Empire's Mine Superintendent George Starr in 1886. The Stars had two children, William and Dorothy. They lived in Grass Valley until 1950, 15 rather, and uh, were very involved in the community and community activities. Uh, Kate Mori, Mori O'Rourke, I don't know how to pronounce her name, but she was also part of this family that brought these mines. Um, she was part of the Bourne's prestigious family and had a wonderful home in San Francisco on Webster Street. And um, she retired in 1934 and helped at the supplying the local orphanage with home-baked cookies. So that was kind of the end of the Golden Empire. The geology of this area is the deposits of the Grass Valley Mining District. It occurs in, it occurs in quartz veins deep underground. Granite bodies called 
plutons were formed when molten rock magma slowly cooled below the surface, and during the final stages of cooling, liquids would dissolve silica and gold, push their way up through the fractures, shear zone, the shear zones, fault lines, and older rocks, hardening and forming the solid veins of gold and quartz. Um, there's all kinds of recommended reading here. If you want to know no, more about this history of this mine, um, there's other areas you can visit in the area if you want. Um, so pretty neat. I hope you enjoyed the gold mining story, and uh, we'll try to get some more historical stories of uh, the old timers and what they did if you enjoyed that. If you enjoyed this, please let me know. If you have any ideas for improvements, please let me know. Until next time, remember, rockhounds don't die, they petrify.